Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. I took that photo and I photoshopped those men in to create this piece. I knew as I was making it that it was going to be like a semi-viral hit. Today, so many of us are glued to our phones and digital devices. The internet's provided a means for us to access information from anywhere at any time. Well, my Instagram is otherworldly. And for Jenny, it opened doors to new opportunities. But really, it's otherworld.ly, like L-Y. And I've been growing it for about the last four years. Hi, I'm Sonia Yee, and you're listening to Only Human, a podcast about the moments where life takes a turn when you least expect it. I was doing the digital nomad thing. And this story is about 26-year-old Jenny Gao, whose pursuit of creativity led her to opportunities she couldn't have dreamed of otherwise. As a design graduate, she wanted a place where she could share her photography, and Instagram proved to be the perfect platform. It happened organically. It's a privilege to take up people's attention on their Instagram and uh, Facebook feeds. You want to say something of value and you want to impart something that can inspire or educate or give them something that they can take away. I think the best creatives do that. She was working as a freelance user experience designer, a job that enabled her to travel anywhere in the world. Now, as a young woman, this lifestyle gave her the freedom to find her feet and hone her creative voice. I mean, digital nomad work is anything that's location independent. So that's software development, design, management, marketing. The internet has democratised so many industries and I think people have really utilised that to empower themselves in their careers. We don't have to be locked away in an office. People are now using that to enrich their lifestyles. But for Jenny, it wasn't about hopping from one country to another. She wanted to get to know a place, and more importantly, its people. I prefer to slow travel. I lived in specific countries, so I lived in Canada for a few months and then Nepal for a few months. And the reason for that was because if you start to just collect countries, it becomes essentially a form of consumerism too, doesn't it? And as its own sort of modern-day collectible. Jenny would stay in one place for about three months at a time, and when she wasn't working on her paid opportunities, she was using her free time to grow creatively. I was using all my money to funnel into upskilling in photojournalism and portrait photography. I was living in one place, um, so it never felt rushed. And there was no shortage of inspiration, being immersed in different cultures and surrounded by visually stunning landscapes. India was another place she lived and worked from. That's a portrait of a sadhu I took in India last year. But in India, a sadhu is a holy man. They're essentially monks and they go without money. They separate themselves from society for spiritual enlightenment. 
In the photograph, the sadhu has a long graying beard that thins out around his chest. He wears an ankle-length black kaftan with black jandals and a red checkered cloth bag is slung over his left shoulder. His hair is wrapped in fabric tied in a top knot, and he's standing against a backdrop of shop signs and yellow upside-down U-shaped bars which bring out the colour of the flowers around his neck. He was just right in the middle of the road with one foot on the curb and a walking stick in one hand and just adorned with marigolds and his face is painted with white. We photographed a lot of sadhus on that trip and we sat with them, we bought them chai, we bought them cigarettes and we paid them for that exchange because they don't live off much. But this sadhu was the only one that we didn't pay because we found him like this and he allowed us to take his portrait. It almost looks like he's got no eyes, but it's just mm-hmm. the way his face is painted. Yeah, it's a beautiful right. photo. And it's these kinds of images that have captured her audience's imagination. Now, scrolling through her Instagram feed, her photos encapsulate a sense of movement, but also stillness and wonder. But winding back to where things started off for Jenny, it was 2015, and Instagram was still relatively intimate. For all of us, Instagram started off being something very personal. We used it to put vintage filters on our photos and post food shots with our friends. Users of the platform were beginning to curate their imagery, but it wasn't like it is today, where each photo is carefully considered to create the perfect grid, a series of photos that tells a story where the colours and mood align. And then it became commercialised, and I think that we had a hard time with that shift. It felt like the platform sold out. Influence marketing was already a full-fledged industry in the US at the time, but, you know, New Zealand, where we take a little longer. She headed back to New Zealand three years ago, but it was a different story compared to what was happening overseas in the influencer market. For a start, there weren't any agencies here representing influencers, so she was running solo for a while. I said yes to the brands that resonated with me. A lot of them were small retail brands, clothing brands or small startups made by probably other digital nomads um, who didn't have a lot of budget for marketing, but they had a strong brand message and kōpapa. That truly felt like authentic collaboration. People can see through partnerships that, are, that you've taken for the money. And Jenny was, and still is, all about being true to herself and her art form. It was really at the beginning of 2018, I think, when influencer marketing became an established industry in New Zealand. There were agencies that used to only manage actors that took on influencers on their roster. Uh, And then you could see our corporate companies starting to make that shift too. And then all of a sudden, there was money funneled into influencers. HelloFresh and uh, even Countdown got, got involved. But while things were slow to move in New Zealand, they did eventually start to pick up. Finally, things were happening. Then I got signed to an agency. That's We Are Tenzing. They're the only agency, as far as I know, that takes people who create with purpose. That agency was founded by Kiwi personality Brooke Howard-Smith, who saw an opportunity and a gap in the market. But it wasn't necessarily a straightforward process, at least not at first. I was their first travel influencer they, they took on. I think they had a hard time as to know what to do with me in the beginning, but I just loved that they cared about the longevity of your career. They understood that influencer marketing is volatile and 
you know, you as a young creative are going to want to do different things. Jenny began attracting contracts from places like tourism boards. She had opportunities to work with big corporate clients like Air New Zealand and ASB, along with other respected New Zealand brands. Gaining recognition for her work drove her forward momentum and her passion. So the way it worked was like this. They give you a creative brief. Accompanied by demographics, target audience and key brand messaging. And it could range from anything such as... An activation of a certain product, a competition, it might be an event, and they give you full creative freedom. And you submit a creative treatment back to them. It might be for two posts and a couple of stories, or it might be one post and a video. And it's fast turnaround, including a feedback process. But as a design graduate, this was a cinch for Jenny. Each brief provided plenty of creative freedom. I just loved that quick iterative process that influencer marketing allowed me to do. I really thrived in that environment. I loved it. Yeah, and even though I don't do it full-time, it was good income and it really gave me the time, allowed me to, to hone in on my creative voice. It almost felt too good to be true. She was living the life she wanted, making money from her art. But soon she found there were downsides to the job. She had to find a way to work around the aspects that were slightly uncomfortable. My agency and my own audience actually tells me that I should be in my own work more. But my work is not about me. It's about other people, their lives and their stories. As a more traditional photographer, that is the expectation. Instagram has completely changed the photography industry. You see, the thing about Instagram is it's about connecting with your audience and your particular demographic. I'm very camera shy, not natural in front of the camera. We would be at a certain location and I'd be shooting with my friends who are also Instagram travel creators. The expectation is, especially if you're a girl, is to be in front of the camera. feel like sometimes you're not taken as seriously because I want to see you when you travel and not so much the work that you produce. So it undermines the work that you do in your creativity in a way. So that's kind of why I shy away from sharing too much of my own face. But along with the contracts that were falling into her lap, other pressures started to creep in too. Influencer marketing's competitive and money talks. It's sort of the case with all social media platforms as the internet grows, the content does too and what we expect from it also does. And, you know, with any growth, there's growing pains. You know, whenever you start to pay the bills with your art, it does change your relationship with it. How strategic were you and how much time would you spend, you know, assessing your grid and deciding which image to post next to the previous one? I'm, I'm really bad at that. <laughs> I don't. In fact, I've only recently started to... Um, to actually accept the fact that I need to maintain an aesthetic because that's the, the first impression that people have of you and that is important. I just, I'm not for curating. I'm for, I feel like it's limiting. You should, you should give yourself the freedom to post what you're excited about um, and what is meaningful for you to you at, at the present moment and to give yourself that, um, that freedom is just... You need to think about your career long-term, you know? What happens when there's no aesthetic to maintain? Um, what subject matters are you going to create art about for 10, 20 years beyond all of this? And there's a thing about the algorithm. 
You know how you can be scrolling through when you lose track of time? So the algorithm needs you to be consistent. If you, As soon as you're not consistent, and that by that I mean posting every day or posting every second day, it will drop you and you will not get your reach. And if you don't get your reach, then you don't get paid because your pay is dependent on your reach. So who's checking this then? So you're talking about pay. Your pay is solely dependent on your number of followers, your amount of engagement and your reach because... So that puts all the pressure on the creator to maximise their reach and their followers and their engagement. And I think that that can be incredibly unhealthy. It wants us to stay on for as long as possible. The designers, the user experience designers of social media platforms, a lot of them don't even use it themselves because they know that they've designed it in a way that is intentionally there to keep you on for as long as possible. And then there are the number of likes which is also part of one's reach. But there's a psychology behind why some posts generate more likes than others. It's not actually you saying, oh, this is the content I like. It's a public acknowledgement of support. You know that other people can see what you like. That changes the context. It sounds like a subtle form of peer pressure in a way. And that need to conform is exactly why businesses started cashing in, Celebrities were no longer at the top of the food chain, but the everyday guy and girl with an Instagram following attracting like minds with aspirational posts and stories. There's some things that you might scroll past and actually genuinely like, but you might not press that like button because you know that other people are going to see you liking that. And sometimes it has nothing to do with the actual quality of the piece too. It's to do with your hashtags. It's to do a lot of variables that are out of your control. And that's, I think, the unhealthy part of it. You don't have control over that. That says a lot about how much we've grown with our social media platforms. We know what they really are. When you started to get the attention and brands started like wanting to back you, you're probably going, wow, this is, this is really cool. I, I know that other people were doing it and now I'm doing what they're doing and this is my dream. But then what did it feel like? Is it affecting you creatively? Um, Well, it definitely screwed me up creatively. It screws up a lot of my peers creatively. You start creating purely to share. With some pieces of work, you need to take that time to go deep. And the pressures of social media does not let you do that. So I I think that was actually the turning point. When I, I knew that my creativity was being stunted, I knew that I wasn't, my potential was being stifled because of the pressures of Instagram. I hated shooting. I had incredible anxiety every time I had to edit a photo because I knew already how many likes it would get. Isn't that crazy? Really? Yeah. You could predict? I could predict. I... So I remember waking up with anxiety every single morning because I knew I had to post something. And one of her photographs in particular would set the bar, but also start to break her down. I had a shot for um, Rotorua Tourism. It's a photograph of Redwood Forest in Rotorua, and I wasn't doing anything with it, so I thought, well, why don't I just turn it into something of my own? In the image, two men walk underneath clear umbrellas, sheltered beneath a canopy of lush ferns. The umbrellas look like they're reflecting magical fairy lights. Jenny called this post, Canopy of Dreams. And it turned out to be uh, something that I'm now known for. 
So this is actually a digital manipulation. I took that photo and I photoshopped those men in to create this piece. I knew as I was making it that it was going to be like a semi-viral hit, and it was. It garnered over 3,000 likes and more than 100 comments. People were calling it a masterpiece. The reach is one of the, the highest sort of engaged. 23,858. I mean, you get a high from that. But you know that that's, this is now the standard that you have to live up to. And anything else that I shared would just not reach that. But the dilemma comes when clients are banking on that reach and money's involved. We want what we pay her to do to also reach that same amount of people. And it won't. So the mounting pressure starts to dictate the creative process. You then make art for the algorithm. You make art for the snackable, ephemeral nature of someone scrolling through. And I think the statistic is that, you know, you only get half a second before they scroll past your your photo. And on to the next one. Visual delights to sate the eye. By the end of 2018, Jenny was starting to suffer from anxiety with the pressure of having to keep up daily posts. Yeah, I was waking up every day with anxiety just knowing that I had to share something because otherwise I wasn't going to get paid. And that's not just me, that's all of my peers in this industry. It was most definitely a domino effect and I definitely saw it coming. But I allowed it to happen because I wanted to make money off of it and that is just what you sign up for when you take this on as your career. It's part of the package. Whether you are a micro-influencer or if you have a million, yeah, some of my best friends have quit because of the pressure. The other side of it is you feel like you can't complain because you realise the privilege you have to live this kind of life, to get access to speak to so many people every day, to have some of the yeah, the, the advantages that you get. And the brand's investing in you, believing in you, your voice. Yeah. And, you know, YouTubers, I think, have been known to talk about YouTuber burnout. So it's the same with every platform. It's so important to have something at least to ground you and to take you away from that that constant creating for an algorithm that will never favour you. But in 2019, a big change happened on Instagram, removing the number of visible likes on each post. New Zealand was the first country to remove the likes, I think. All of a sudden, people began posting more candid shots, no longer reliant on the perfectly composed photographs. Real life was making its way back onto the platform. And after the change, things were a bit quiet. It took a week of getting used to it where it felt very empty and a bit like, well, who's on here now? But for the content producers, well, the weight was starting to lift. Now it's given us that creative freedom that we've longed for. It also gave her some space, and some realisations started to sink in. Having that removed means that when I scroll through my own feed, I look at the actual imagery of my work, and I look at the actual words that I'm writing, and I can judge that for what it is and critique that for what it is, as opposed to see a number and attach a certain meaning to it. I also realise that I'm a young creative who needs to cultivate her creative voice. When you're creating art purely for a specific platform, that's the limitation. You want to give yourself the freedom to make bad photographs and to to figure that out. It's just one part of me or one tool that I can use to share 
the greater collective of work that I am working on. Rather than feeling like this is who you are now. Yeah, rather than being the end all and be all. And that my art doesn't matter unless it's on my Instagram. What pressures are you putting on yourself today? What messages I want to put in the world and how I want to serve communities and people. Because that's what good art should do. It should never be about you. Sure, I mean, you'll there's a bit of you in, in the way that you tell it, but ultimately it's about a certain person or a certain community or a certain message or a certain voice. And so it's about what issues and what voice do I want to amplify? And I think it used to be a lot more about, look at me, I'm travelling, and look at me, I'm here. But ever since it switched, it's been freeing and... I feel a lot of personal responsibility in that. You don't seek the same kind of validation, though? No. Instagram is a platform for you to share things, and I never want to keep learnings and my journey to myself. There's so many other like-minded people I have met here who are part of my community, and they deserve all this information, too. But I also think it's the responsibility is on you to maintain a healthy relationship with it, to, to clearly define what social media is for you and the role that it plays in your art. But today, Jenny's made a sideways shift and is making a short film about Kaimanawa horses. So doco, it's that battle between conservation and preservation. It's about a ageing horseman called Tomiwara. He is breaking in a wild Kaimanawa stallion um, for the first time in order to save its life, basically. Um, the Kamanawa were actually brought over after World War I to New Zealand, so they're not native, but then they've been sort of thrown into this um, ecosystem that cannot handle them. So over the last two decades, there's been a lot of push to cull them all because scientifically they are damaging the, the ecology, but the local iwi there have taken them in and under their wing, so they've become their guardians. You've achieved a lot, you're only 26, and I'm sure you've also kind of done th- some things that you wouldn't have dreamed of and now achieving. What, what are your big dreams now? So I'm working on a feature documentary for next year. That is what Kaimanawa is leading up towards, and that would be the dream is to make documentaries that have international impact that can bring us closer together as humans to realise that the boundaries that separate us are just, they're not real. That's all I can really hope for in a career that I hope will be long. <laughs> I'm still learning, I'm just still trying my best and, um, and also to bring other creatives on along the way. There's so many beautiful creative voices in New Zealand that are waiting to be nurtured, I think, that's really special. I want to do as much of that as I personally can through a platform like this. I think it's your responsibility once you, once you can. That was Jenny Gao. You can follow her via otherworld.ly. I'm your host and producer, Sonia Yee, and the executive producer for the series and podcast team is Tim Watkin.
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.